So, hi. How you doing? I want this to stay right here till I'm ready for it. There we go. It is Mother's Day. How many of you are mothers? Come on, guys, don't raise your hand. Good. You look good. It's great to be with you. Um, we, you, I don't know if I've ever talked about my family or not, but we have three kids and uh, eight grandchildren, counting the one that's already in heaven. And we we have a, a great family. One of our, our daughter is the one we live closest to there in Miriam. We live in her neighborhood, and she's a a counselor, has her practice and helps people in that way. She's also an ordained minister in the Westland Church. Um, and she has three kids and a husband. And those things go together. We have a, another son. Our our middle child is our son who lives in Wichita, Kansas. He has three kids. His oldest is in medical school, and uh, he is a pilot for FedEx. So those FedEx packages you get once in a while, he might have flown them to you. He's uh, based out of, they live in Wichita, but he flies out of uh, Memphis, I think. His wife is a school teacher. We have a, our older son who is in Florida and he is, and his wife are planting a church in Cape Coral, Florida. Now, you know, I look at Cape Coral and I see a church on every corner almost. Uh, many of them are contemporary. In fact, the one we attended while we were down there this year was very contemporary, very, very large. So you might wonder, why would you want to plant a church in Cape Coral? Let me tell you why. Because God wants him to. And the Lord confirmed that this week in a way that is just kind of, it's kind of reassuring. They, this week, got a huge financial donation to their church fund, their church planting fund, that God just miraculously provided. They weren't expecting it. It just showed up in the funds. And we thank God for the confirmation that they're in the right place because it's hard right now. They're just beginning, and it's hard. And uh, and we know church planters tell us that it's it's a very, very hard job. One guy told us the other day when we were talking about John, he's planted a church in Marion, and he's done a great job with that. He said, it's the hardest work I have ever done, but it's the most rewarding I've ever had. So there's a place. God wants, God has churches that he's putting in places that, that he knows about and that he understands why, even if we don't. We're grateful for what God is doing there. Well, it is Mother's Day indeed. I read not long ago about a teacher who gave her class of second, of second graders now, a second graders. She was trying to teach them about a magnet and what magnets do and how they function. And so she had taught them the lesson. The next day, she did a little written test. And she included this question. My full name has six letters. The first one is M, and I pick up things. What am I? When the tests were all turned in, the teacher was astounded to find that almost 50% of them wrote, Mother. (laughs) 
and that, that sounds, you know, that sounds about right, doesn't it? I don't know if you're familiar with the Calvin and Hobbes comic strip or not, but uh, on one Mother's Day, Calvin is pictured standing by his mother's bed. He says, hey mom, wake up, I made you a Mother's Day card. My, how sweet of you, she says. <clears throat> I did it all by myself. Go ahead and read it. So she begins to read. It says, I was going to buy a card with hearts of pink and red, but then I thought I'd rather spend the money on me instead. It's awfully hard to buy things when one's allowance is so small. So I guess you're pretty lucky I got anything at all. You got anything at all. Happy Mother's Day. There, I've said it. Now I'm done. So how about getting out of bed and fixing breakfast for your son? Signed, Calvin. His mother said, I'm deeply moved. And he said, did you notice the part about my allowance? Sometimes it feels like that a little bit, doesn't it? You know, you feel unappreciated. You feel like your kids are taking you for granted. You feel like maybe things aren't the way they should be. Motherhood is not always easy. It's a little tough. And I hope that that kind of translates for you into the message today as we talk about it. But first, I want to mention football. How many of you like football? How many of you are Michigan State fans? That's too bad because I'm going to talk about Michigan. It has to be one of the best games in Michigan, in, in football period, certainly in Michigan's history. It was the game where Michigan was going against Virginia at home in the big house. It's August the 26th, the year's 1995. Now it was a significant game, more significant than I realized in the sense that, first of all, it's the first game of the season and that's always a big deal. And then, It was Lloyd Carr's first game as the Michigan coach. The quarterback was Scott Dreisbach. And the end of the game, the end of the football game, has to be one of the greatest finishes of college football. I kid you not. And let me tell you something. Here's what makes it even better. I was there. (laughs) Courtesy of my friend, Ron Klingerman, who had asked me to go, and I said, sure. Now, there may be other football games that have great endings, and certainly in college football that happens quite a bit, but this one is something. It was the last four seconds of the game. We are at the end of the fourth quarter, four seconds left, fourth down, ten yards to go, even if there was time for a first down. This is it. This one's gonna be it. No, okay. Here, here's the, here's the, here's the deal. Michigan was trailing Virginia 17 to 12. Four seconds left. Fourth down. So they huddle up. They get the play in the mind. They go to the line. Dreisbach takes the snap. He's got the ball. He fades back just a little bit. The front line is doing their thing. They're holding the defense. They're waiting, trying to get the uh, the uh, timing right so that the, the play can develop. 
drives back, is looking. He's looking at the end zone, of course. What else could he be doing? And he decides he's got his eye on the receiver, and he throws the ball up into the air toward the end zone. And for what seems like an eternity to him and to those of us who are watching, we wait to see what will happen. The receiver is in the end zone. He's surrounded by Virginia players. And he reaches up and he catches the ball in the end zone. Michigan wins. Yeah, there you go. That stadium went crazy. You can imagine, can't you? I thought, actually, I was fearing for my life. I was in the midst of all this craziness. Actually, there was a little lady sitting down in front of me who had been rooting for Virginia the whole game, and I wondered about her life at that moment, too. Nonetheless, Virginia was defeated by Michigan in the last four seconds of the game. Hold on to that for me, will you? Thanks. I got to thinking about that ending and how it finished out. And I got to imagining, what if some of us sitting there knew how it was going to end? I mean, what if somehow, I don't know, time warp, something happened, and we had seen it. We knew what the ending was going to be like. We understood what was going to happen. And we knew Michigan was going to win. Then I suppose we might have gone around saying things like, Hey, 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 it's okay. It's just a matter of time. We're going to win. If we'd known how that was going to end. Hold on now. It's just a matter of time. Don't you suppose that we might be saying that? People were, you know, yelling, they were screaming. But it's just a matter of time. And what I want to you, for, for you to help me with today is this. With God, it's just a matter of time. We know the end. We've read the end of the book. We understand what God is doing. We know there's going to be a, a, a great battle. We understand there are going to be battles. We understand it's not going to be easy. But we also know who wins, don't we? And we know that we are on His side. We know the end of the story. So when we come up against tests and trials and problems, when we see things we don't understand or experience events that we don't seem to think it should be this way, it doesn't work out the way we thought, or we're experiencing some kind of, of uh, set setback or or being misunderstood. We have all that going on. What ought to comfort our hearts is this, that with God, it's just a matter of time. God is going to set the record straight. God will bring everything into line with His purposes and His will. He's going to do it. It's just a matter of time. And that's what I want you to take with you today. If you don't get anything else from this very, 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 very long message, (laughs) I want you to get this. Say it with me. We know that with God, here it is, it's just a matter of time. 
one more time, just so we make sure we've got it. With God, it's just a matter of time. You got it. And with that in mind, I want us to turn to the text today. It's in James chapter 5. We're going to begin reading at verse 7, all the way down to verse 7. James says in this chapter, Therefore be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. The farmer waits for the precious produce of the soil, being patient about it until it gets to the early and late rains. You too be patient. Strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is near. Do not complain, brethren, against one another, so that you yourselves may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing right at the door. As an example, brethren, of suffering and patience, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. We count those blessed who endured. You have heard of the endurance of Job and have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings, that the Lord is full of compassion and is merciful. But above all, my brethren, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath, but your yes is to be yes and your no, no so that you may not fall under judgment. You know, we talk about our hurts once in a while. We even talk about the golden rule. We all know what the golden rule is, right? How many of you know what the golden rule is? Do unto others as you would have them do to you. However, human nature being what it is, unfortunately, Sometimes we live by a different rule. If we're honest, sometimes we live by what we call the get-even rule. I'm going to do to you what you did to me. Now, as Christians, obviously, we would want to avoid that. But still, there is that idea. But the fact of the matter is, it really doesn't make much difference what happens to us. What matters is what happens in us. The circumstances being whatever they are, whatever's going on, doesn't make as much difference as it does to how we respond to what's going on. And that's the real point of the writer in this passage, in these verses. Here in James, verse 7 here of chapter 5, James says... Be patient, therefore, brethren. Who's he writing to? Well, that's an interesting question, and we ought to answer it. Primarily, he's writing to the Jewish Christians who were in the midst of persecution. They were being forced to abandon their homes. Many were fleeing from Jerusalem for fear of their lives. They were being persecuted. They were being harassed. They were being forced to live in difficult circumstances against their will. It was tough. So in the face of all this, James says, be patient. Be patient. God's going to set the record straight. Be patient until the coming of the Lord. In fact, patience seems to be the major theme for James in these next few verses. In verse 7, for instance, he says, be patient. In verse 8, he says, be patient. In verse 10, he says, 
as an example, brethren, of suffering and patience. In verse 11, he says, we count those blessed who endured, which is patience. You have heard of the endurance of Job. Patience is the capacity to accept or tolerate delay or trouble or suffering without getting angry or upset about it. Okay, that's a little bit tougher than it sounds at first. Without getting angry or upset about it. The Greek word here suggests enduring without losing heart. Dr. R. Dwayne Thompson, who's gone to heaven now, but he's commenting on that in in this passage in the Wesleyan Bible Commentary, and he tells us that the original Greek word in verse 7 implies a patient holding out under trial. A long, protracted restraint of the soul. A restraint from yielding to passion, especially the passion of anger. The fact of the matter is, it's usually connected to persons or people. He's saying, don't lose heart. Be slow to get angry at others who mistreat or offend you. Bravely endure misfortune and trouble. In other words, hold back a little bit. Be patient when you're mistreated. Easier said than done. At this point, we might want to note here that James actually changes words on us. It doesn't always show up in the King James, for instance, and other translations, but he changes words on us beginning at verse 11. And yet, both words... Words he uses in this passage both can be and often are translated patience. But here in verse 11, he's speaking of endurance. And the better translations, it seems, often use that word now. To endure means to remain under and usually refers to a condition or a situation rather than people. So to endure means to remain under certain adverse conditions or situations. However, it's not a despairing kind of endurance. The word actually carries with it a hopefulness. It's not just grinning and bearing it. It's waiting steadfastly with hope for the future. James is saying we have to be patient with people even though they may hurt us. And we must endure difficult situations in our life even though There are great hardships. Sometimes we have to remain under those burdens for a long time. Longer than we would want to. Longer than we think we ought to have to. But we endure. And so James is calling on these Jewish Christians suffering persecution. And on us. To be patient. And to endure. In the first chapter of his letter, chapter 1, James indicates that these adverse kinds of things come into our lives for a purpose. In fact, he says, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you consider various trials. What? Consider it what? Joy? you got to be kidding, right? Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. There's that word. Sometimes it's translated patience. 
And let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect, perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So now it appears, he's coming to chapter 5, he's coming back to his original theme from chapter 1. He's still talking about patience. And he gives some instruction to us with regard to how we should handle people and how we should handle circumstances and trials in our life. Far from getting even, he says, we should be patient and endure. How? And that's the question I wanted. I want to know how to do that, James. So he helps us. First point is this. Allow the Lord to be your defense. You know, your first reaction is to defend yourself. But allow the Lord to be your defense. Verse 9 talks about the judge standing right at the door. Listen, God has not forsaken you in your situation. Quite the contrary. He's standing right at the door. He's involved. You can put your trust in Him. Remember, He knows the end from the beginning. And He assures us that in the end... He is victorious. Therefore, be patient. Put your trust in Him. Let Him be your defense. Be like the farmer who has learned the value of patience when it comes to the crops that he plants. His experience has taught him that it takes time for the seed to sprout and for the crop to begin to flourish. He knows he really doesn't control all of that. He knows he must trust God to bring the rain that finally produces the harvest. So, follow that example. Like the farmer, be patient. For what God is doing is producing a harvest in your life. Right? It's important that we see the big picture. That we see the Lord is in everything that happens. That's what Paul meant when he said, For we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. The importance of God's work and God's timing in our lives is essential for us to remember. Because with God, it's your turn again. It's just Second, how? Allow the future to give you hope. Strengthen your hearts, he says in verse 8, for the coming of the Lord is near. Now that word strengthen means to make stable, to firmly and steadfastly set, to make up your mind, to be undeterred in your heart. The same word is used in Luke 9.51 with regard to Jesus. Believe it or not, it says Jesus made up his mind that he was going to go to Jerusalem. And the NIV says that he resolutely set out to go. He was going to Jerusalem. He was immovable toward that goal. He was going that direction. And this word is saying to us, we can strengthen our heart because we know that the coming of the Lord is near. It brings us hope. I'm in this situation, it's awful, but I know He's coming, so I can have hope. It means, ultimately, we know what the future holds. And it really is just a matter of time. 
This passage is not necessarily speaking of patience in terms of simply waiting for something to happen. That's kind of the way we think about it. It's, it's, we think about it like waiting in the waiting room in the doctor's office on our appointment. Fidgeting, you know, saying, let's hurry up. Why, why, it was a half hour ago. Why aren't I in yet? But it's not that kind of waiting. This passage speaks of patience as a steadfast endurance while things are happening. Yep, they're going on. We don't like them. While things are pressing in on us, and regardless of what they may be, we are enduring. And the reason we can have that kind of patience, the reason we can endure the insults, the misfortunes, the trouble, the abuse, the misunderstandings, the taking us for granted, the offenses that come, is that we have strengthened ourselves with hope. He stands right at the door. He's coming soon. We're setting our mind on that hope that comes as we follow Christ. It is a hope that comes as we put our trust in God and His ultimate plan for us. And I love this. It's not mere hope. Paul says, this is hope that will not disappoint us. It's hope that will not disappoint us. In other words, we know how it's going to come out. We know. What do we know? It's just. So take hope in the future. Three, how, how do we do that? Allow the prophets to give you insight. Verse 10, as an example, brethren of suffering and patience, take the prophets. Who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we count those blessed who endured. I got to thinking about that. What does the, what do the prophets teach us? And I, I thought of three things. Three things at least that the prophets teach us. First is this. Being in God's will does not guarantee we won't suffer. Well, wouldn't that be nice? The prophets were in God's will, but they suffered. And some of their suffering is hard to even read about when you read it in the scripture. One day Paul said, by the way, Timothy, all that live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. It's just going to happen. You can count on it. It's par for the course. We're going to have persecution days. It's going to happen. You know, we like to think that if we're living the way we ought to live, if we're doing what God wants us to be doing, that all the things in our life will be well. It's going to go smoothly. And when it doesn't go smoothly, we figure we must be out of the will of God somehow. Or God isn't for us anymore. Or somehow we've gotten disconnected from Him. But that's false. Don't believe it. That's not what the prophets did. That's not the example they were setting. It's not true. So don't think that's true. Second thing they teach us is that God cares for us when we suffer for his sake. Someone has rightly said, the will of God will never lead you where the grace of God cannot keep you. I think that's true. When you're going through the hardest place you have in your life, he's there. In fact, I kind of think that's what the psalmist was saying in Psalm 139 when he's crying out to God and he says, is there any place I can go 
where your spirit is not? Is there any place I can go out of your sight? Or if I climbed the sky, you're there. If I go underground, you're there. If I flew on morning's wings to the far western horizon, you'd find me in a minute because you're already there watching. Then I said to myself, Oh, he even sees me in the dark. When I'm in the darkest place I know, he sees me. He sees me. At night, I'm immersed in the light. It's a fact. Darkness isn't dark to you, O God. Night and day, darkness and light, they're all the same to you. What I'm trying to tell you is when you're in your hardest place in life, He's there. Your hardships will not obscure His presence. Number three, some trials can be caused by fellow believers. Don't look around too much just now. But really, our brothers and sisters in Christ, others who are working in the vineyard, great Christian people can cause church leaders some of the biggest problems they've ever had. <laughs> he said amen. Did you hear that? <laughs> the fact is, we have difficulties, even within the body of Christ, that can cause us great pain. And we need to understand that God it hasn't forsaken us there. God's in it doesn't necessarily mean that the person who's opposing us or we're having trouble with doesn't love Jesus. Just means we're human and sometimes we disagree and we don't see it the same way. So don't complain. It happened even to the prophets. Be patient. Why? Because, listen, it's your turn. It's just. That's why you need to be patient. Because it's just a matter of time. God's going to set the record straight. Fourth, in answer to the question, how? Allow your speech to reflect the integrity of your faith. You know, verse 12, you may think when you look at it, it doesn't fit here. For years I thought that. I thought, where in the world does that come from? In fact, if you have some versions of some translations of the Bible, they have a whole separate paragraph for that one verse. Because they don't think it fits. But I think it might. You know, it's, it's the one that says, But above all, my brethren, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath. Let your yes be yes, your no, no, so that you might not fall into judgment. So at least one way, there might be many applications, but one way we could apply it to this context is this. It has to do with the fact that when the pressure's on, we sometimes say things we shouldn't say. Sometimes we accuse God in ways we shouldn't accuse Him. God, why did you let this happen? This is so unfair. Sometimes 
we try to make deals with God that we shouldn't try to make. James is saying, let your speech reflect your faith. Let your speech reflect the integrity that you have with your faith. Let your words be true to God. Don't let your words get away. Don't say things you shouldn't say when the pressure's on. Amen? And Job, Job, Job is an example here. He points that out. He had every opportunity to betray God with his speech, but he didn't. And don't miss this. James says, you've heard of the endurance of Job and have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings. What was the outcome? God was faithful. God saw him through. The outcomes of the Lord's dealings is that the Lord is full of compassion and is merciful. So be encouraged today. Our God is full of compassion and he's merciful. And it really is just a matter of time before he will make himself known in my situation and in yours. Many years ago, our Daily Bread devotional, you may or may not be familiar with them, but they told the story of a German pastor named Paul Gerhardt. It was during the Thirty Years' War in the 17th century. The pastor and his family were forced to flee their own home. It was a dark day. One night as they stayed in a small village inn, homeless and afraid, his wife broke down and cried openly in despair and Like any good husband, especially a pastor, he tried to comfort her. He reminded her of the scripture, of God's promises, about God's provision and God's keeping. And that seemed to help her. She calmed down. And when she was calm, he went out to the garden to be alone. And then he broke down. And he wept before God. You can imagine. He felt he'd come to his darkest hour. Soon after that, somehow God moved into his heart and he felt the burden lifted and he sensed anew the Lord's presence. Taking his pen, he wrote a hymn, a hymn that we're probably not familiar with at all, but it brought comfort not only to him, but to many since who have been a part of that hymn. He said, In this hymn, give the winds thy fears, hope, and be undismayed. God hears thy sighs and counts thy tears. God shall lift up thy head. Through waves and clouds and storms, he gently clears the way. Wait thou his time. So shall the night soon end. In joyous day. And that's what I want you to understand today. What are you facing? What are you personally going through? Have you been deeply hurt? Something that's really hard for you? Tough to forgive? Are you smarting over a recent rejection? 
Perhaps an undeserved insult that somebody gave you? Are you feeling misunderstood? Are you feeling taken for granted? Are the concerns of our culture perplexing you? They are me. Does the world seem out of control? Do you find yourself like me wondering why there is so much hatred and strife and injustice all around us? Well, take courage, my friend. Take courage. Let hope rise up within you. It may seem like that it's fourth down at the end of the fourth quarter with only four seconds left to go and defeat is imminent. It may seem that way. But we've read the book. We know how it ends. Our eyes of faith are set on the ruler and the overruler of it all. And therefore, this one thing we can be certain of today, and it's this. Let's say it. It's just. Do you believe it? Amen. Heavenly Father, You know our hearts. And you know what each of us may be facing today. Our hurts, our disappointments, our questions, our frustrations. Lord, you understand it all. The conflicts maybe we're having with one person or another. Whatever the situation. It may seem dark. But I pray today, Lord, that you will comfort our hearts with your presence, with your hope, with the assurance that you have it all in hand. You haven't forsaken us. You haven't forgotten us. It's really just a matter of time. And we trust you with that. Help us to that end, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.